those video announcements makes me realize what you have to look at on a regular basis, and I apologize for that. <laughs> hey, uh, if we can turn up the house uh, lights just a little bit, uh, we are um, over the next um, couple weeks, so you can keep going a little bit more because they're going to be taking notes, so it'll be good. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be going our core values so all the way through January. We're just going to be talking about uh, the core values um, that we want to hold uh, specifically even just here at this campus, but as a church, just even as followers of Christ, like what are the things that matter to us? And so as we do that, um, I've worked to make sure that we've got notes and I uh, forgot to tell you to get those during the meet and greet, so Chandler's going to hand those out. Um, <laughs> if you would like one, you can raise your hand and he'll hand one too so you can follow along. And there's even fill in the blanks for those of you uh, that need something to do during service to help you stay focused. So you'll be able to have that as well, um, and it can be helpful. So I'll have those out each and every week. Um, we're going to make sure that we have those each week. So they'll be at the table located there so you can grab them each week as you come in and uh, just be a part of that. Hopefully it helps you. I know it's always good for me just to have a reference to these things um, because they're want, we're wanting to be able to have these um, as things to recall and talk about and process on a regular basis. And some of these things we want to become a regular vernacular of uh, city life as we're talking um, that you'll hear these things on a regular basis. So, hey, let's pray real quick and uh, we'll jump into it. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time where we jump into your word. Lord, we pray that you just speak to us and that you encourage us. That your Holy Spirit, Lord, will take control of this moment, Lord. And may it be your words that are spoken. May it be your spirit that is working in our hearts. Draw us closer to you. Help us to not just learn something new for the sake of knowledge, but help us, Lord, to be moved to a place of love and compassion and to a life of action for your glory. So, Lord, we thank you so much for that. We pray, Lord, that you just be with us as we get ready to enter this Christmas season. Lord, as they talk about 60s and 70s, we rebuke it. We pray for freezing cold temperatures and lots of snow. Amen. How many of you agree with that? A couple of you. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, so as we go through and we talk about our core values, we talked about our first one for two weeks. And the first one was this, be an enthusiastic encourager. Be an enthusiastic encourager. One of the things that it's important for us to do as a follower of Christ is to understand that we are here on this planet for a purpose. The whole reason we've titled this uh, thing is, what is this all about? And doing it during the Christmas season is, is I love that some of the most famous Christmas movies that are out there, somebody asks this question, what is Christmas all about? We go through life and we wonder, what is life all about? That's the question we ask the most. If you go into a bookstore and you go into a Christian book section of any bookstore, you will see all kinds of books of how to know God's will. What are you supposed to do? What is your purpose? That's what we want to know what this thing's all about. We want to know what life is all about. And a lot of times when we're going through, especially if you look at Christmas movies and those things, you see when people don't know what they're living for or why they're living or what their purpose is, then they begin to get in a place where they're just basing everything off of their feelings, basing everything off of their circumstances or their emotions, what's happened to them, what hasn't happened to them, what somebody else got. And you see people going crazy and kind of just living lives outside of the norm. But there's one person that helps bring them in. You know, and Charlie Brown and the Charlie Brown Christmas story, they're talking and Linus says, what is Christmas all about, Charlie? And then Charlie Brown goes through and he talks about what Christmas is all about. There's this person that's always there that kind of has a sense of understanding. 
that they know what it is that they're living for, and they know the values that need to be in place in their life. They know what matters and what doesn't matter, and they become a sense of, of, of stableness that helps other people to find purpose. Or maybe they're in a situation where they don't have that, and they're going through this process of discovering what they should value, discovering what their life is for and why they should be living. And as, as they find those values, then there's this redemptive quality that comes into their life, that comes into play, that they are able to help people discover their purpose. And so what happens a lot of times, not just in churches, but in organizations, even in families, if we don't know our why, if we don't know why we're living, if we're, all we're doing is running around like chickens with our heads cut off trying to figure out what we're supposed to be doing in any given moment, then whatever happens in life, whatever you feel like in the moment, whatever situation arises, your kid spills the cereal everywhere and there's milk running everywhere, if you don't have something that keeps you solid and just at your core in that moment says, no, this is what matters more than the spilt milk, then who knows what's going to happen, Right? And so we've got to get into this place of we understand, hey, why am I here on this planet right now? And once we figure out why we're here, then that why, we start seeking God and looking to him and say, how am I supposed to live that out? How am I supposed to do these things? And once we have the how clarified for us, then our what we're doing, it becomes crystal clear. And a lot of times we're running around trying to figure out what we're supposed to do. And I think too often times we put too much hope in the what when we should really be focused on the why and the how. Because the what can change on a regular basis. When I don't know if any of you are in the same boat as me, but when I was 18 and what I thought I was going to do in life, I'm nowhere even close to that. Right? And, and whenever I found something that I really loved and I was really passionate about how I lived that and, and how that job happened in my life or whatever its purpose was, it changed and it grew in itself. And a lot of those things, they're gone, they're past in the history. And I hope to be a pastor for the rest of my life, but I know that how I pastor and, and what I do based off where we are as a church and what we're going, it's going to change on a regular basis. So the what it's not the focus, right? The focus is the why and how we fulfill that why. So our why as a follower of Christ, we've talked about this every single week uh, for the past two weeks, and we'll talk about this. Our why is that we're here to live for the glory of God and so that others can come to know him. I love in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says this in verse 14, brothers and sisters, this is not in your notes, uh, it says, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, and take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to, always, or, and to all people. In verse 16, always be joyful. Verse 17, never stop praying. And then verse 18, here's the money verse right here. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. What is his will for you? What is it that he wants you to do? What is your why? Is to help people wherever they are to see that Jesus is greater than their circumstance, that Jesus is, just as Ricky and Danny sang beautifully tonight, the center of it all. 
And so if somebody is not living their life boldly for Christ, our job is to come in and to step into that moment and enthusiastically encourage them. Hey, you can do more. You've been called. You are a child of God. You've got the strength and the ability to live for God. There's things that God's got planned for you and wants to do through you that are bigger than you can imagine. It's to encourage them. If somebody's tired and they're wore out, it's to come alongside them. Hey, I just want you to know that God loves you and I'm here to help you. I'm here to walk alongside of you. I know that life could be hard sometimes. Let me take this off of your shoulders. Let me help you out in this moment. Let me give to you in this moment so that you can not have to worry about that. It's to encourage them and to say, look, here is God. Here he is. And in all circumstances, in all situations, it says to be joyful, to be thankful. That what? That you're here to point to Jesus. That's what our life is for. That's what we're here for, is to encourage people to see that God is active, that God is present, that God is working, and that we are a part of his plans. And that's pretty awesome, isn't it? I mean, when you think about it, whenever I think about the fact that Jesus stepped out of heaven, he is God, fully God, fully perfect. He stepped out of heaven and put on flesh to come down to earth to live at a time when they didn't have air conditioning or iPhones or anything like that. He stepped into that time because it was the perfect and the right time for humanity to be redeemed. He stepped into that moment so that he could open our eyes to the fact that God wants to be in relationship with us. And then he came and gave of himself completely and went back to heaven to return again at one point and handed it off to us during that time of waiting. Isn't that awesome? Like, I mean, like, wow, that's just crazy. Like, Jesus, he created all things. And then he said, I'm going to be a human and I'm going to live this life that they can't live. And I'm going to die the death they deserve so they can have the life that is promised through me, and then once I'm gone, I'm going to give them a Holy Spirit so they can continue on the work, so they can be the church, so they can be my body, be my hands and feet, so that others can come to know me as well. That's pretty stinking awesome. Like, that gets me so pumped to think about it. Even in moments where you're walking through the day, and you're just like, man, today is a tough day. I'd rather just binge watch a ton of Netflix and just sit here and not even go outside today. It's in moments like that, you just walk in, you just, no, I, I've got things to do today. I've got places to go. I've got people to talk to. And I don't know what divine moment is out there that God is wanting to step into so that someone's eyes can be further opened to his presence and his glory. That's what he's called us to. So we should be enthusiastic encouragers. All right, I need to move off of that. I spoke on it for two weeks, and we need to go on. So what we're going to talk about tonight, I'm going to try to hit three tonight. And uh, we're going to, first one we're going to hit tonight, it follow along the first four deals with people. Because believe it or not, we're here, the church is here for people, to reach people. Ultimately, the church is here to glorify God, that the light of God, that his glory, that his power be shown through the church, the unity of the church working together for his purposes. But it's done in people coming together, right? And so that is what's super important. If we get so focused on other things and then people are at the end of the list or if they're not even a part of the list, man, it's really hard to be the church that God's called you to be. It's really hard to be a follower of Christ the way he's called you to follow him if people aren't a priority in your life. And so our life is to encourage them and our life is to help others and for ourselves to grow into 
a likeness of Christ. And so tonight we're going to look at three that helps us to do that. So the first one we're going to talk about is fight for clarity. Fight for clarity. This is one of the biggest things that I see happen in relationships of all kind. If I see it happen in churches, I see it happen in organizations, the moment things begin to fall apart, the moment things begin to deteriorate, the moment that, that, that things happen to where there's, there's situations of disunity or a team's not working as effective as it could or things are coming along, it's in the moment that people have not fought to understand what's really going on. They haven't fought for clarity in the situation. They, and emotionally, we could get to a place where we don't even understand why we feel the way that we feel. Or we don't understand why somebody has done something or said something. And so instead of trying to clarify, we just see it for what it is. And we just let ourselves explode to whatever level we do. For good or bad, right? It can even be moments where we get too excited about something. And we're just like, whoa, we're running around and we're all excited about something. And it's not even true, you know? And so it's just one of those things like we've got to fight for clarity. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13, it says, Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. I was just recently talking with somebody not too long ago, and they were talking about some things as to reasons why they don't want to participate or they don't want to serve in the church or why they just, you know, they're just kind of, they've been on a very far distance, just on the outside circle kind of watching in. And as we're talking to them, they're just pointing out little things that they didn't like. And it was really, I mean, you know, hey, it's great. Have opinions about stuff, right? Like, I, I, one of the things that I'm going to say in here, like I, I, I put on your, on your notes, you said, is I said, don't criticize what you don't understand, right? So, I, like, if, if you don't understand something, then you, in that moment you step into it and you fight for clarity. I want to understand what's going on here. I want to know what's taking place. That's not to say don't have an opinion, right? Like, this is an open church. This is a free church. If you don't like something, then you come and you talk with me. If there's something that you feel is off or not right, then come and talk to me. If you're like, hey, I think you're the worst preacher, and I think you should hand the mic off to people on a more often basis, then come and tell me. I want to have that conversation with you, right? Like, whatever it is that is on your heart, I want you to feel free to come and talk about it. If there's someone else in the church that you say, hey, I want to help them grow in something, or I'm seeing something, or if there's something you don't like, then you go to the leaders and say, hey, I don't know if this is good, but you step into that moment and say, I want to understand why you do what you do. So as I was talking to this person and talking about different things, they were kind of pointing out, and I started clarifying, like, well, here's why we do this, and here's why we do that, and here's why we do this. And they were all very small things, but as I began to talk about it, oh, well, that makes sense. Oh, well, that's actually kind of important. Oh, and so what happened was in that moment of conversation where they were standing on the outside and they were criticizing, they at, began to understand. And as they understood, then they began to move into a place of wanting to be in relationship and they wanted to begin to participate. But what happens in our relationships, what happens in our workspaces, what happens in organizations, what happens in churches is that we see a situation, we perceive it however we perceive it, and then we run with that as it's the fact, as it is gospel truth, and then we just let ourselves do whatever we want with it. So we've got to fight for clarity. 
go into it as Proverbs talks about. Understand the fact. If there's somebody you disagree with, if there's somebody that's hurt you or offended you, don't go to them and say, you offended me. You hurt me. I'm mad at you and you've got to, for, you know, you, like I've got to forgive you and you've got to do all this. Stuff. Don't step into that. Hey, why did you do this? Why did you act this way? It drives my kids crazy. Every time, you know, they come down the stairs and they're just like, Ryland did this or Brayden did this. And I'm like, have you asked them why they did it? <laughs> because they're mean. Because, no, that's not true. Like, ask them why. Go and figure it out. What are the facts? And then base your emotions and your response off of your understanding of the facts. We've got to fight for clarity. Too often, especially as Christians, we get into a place where we're more worried about the way we or the opinions we have of things, then we are to step into a moment and say, I want to understand and I want to go deeper and I want God to be glorified in this situation. And so what happens is, is people get disgruntled, people stop doing things, they start participating in things, they leave, they walk away, they get hurt, they got all of this different stuff because instead of going and saying, I want to understand what happened, I want to understand what's going on, I want to understand your motive, we then just walk away from it. And it's not healthy, it's not good, so we want to fight for clarity. You might find, I was talking to the person, and just tell them, like, hey, you step into a moment and you see, like, I want to know why you do this. Could be small, could be big. And if you get into it, you say, hey, that makes complete sense. Thank you. Now I can get behind that. Or God might be using you to help us understand that it's not what's best. He might be using you to step into it and say, no, here's what you're doing. You think you're doing it for this reason, but you're not. Let me show you what you can do. And then we go, oh, right? But it's a moment of why are you doing this? Understanding the facts, getting those things together so that we can help each other grow in Proverbs chapter 18 verse 17 it says the first to speak in court sounds right until the cross examination begins and so say what are your first perception is your first understanding you can take that as truth but don't stop there push into the moment ask the questions Value the relationship of the person. Value the relationship of the church that you're part of. Value the relationship of your life group. Value the relationship of your spouse or your son or your daughter or your boss. And step into that moment and say, I want to understand. Even if it's something that somebody did that was extremely hurtful, like, why did they do that? Like, I, I, I can't just think they're just that mean of a person. They're not just that hateful. Like, there's something going on. And then you step in and like, oh. They're going through some stuff with their spouse. Oh, they've got some stuff going on in their home life that I didn't know about. And then guess what? You get to encourage them, and you get to bring life to them, and then all of a sudden the situation is completely different. Right? Isn't that good stuff? So we've got to fight for clarity. And I love this. One of the things I, I was going to say, and I wasn't going to put my notes, but now I'm going to say it, is, is that here, I, I, like, hey, um, I, I want to invite you. Right? It's okay to have criticism. But don't be critical, right? It's okay to have criticism, but don't be critical. Don't be somebody who's always walking around, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that should be better, that should be better. <laughs> Do you see what they're wearing, right? Like, don't walk around just being a critical person. But it's okay to have an opinion. It's okay to say, can we do this better? Why do we do this? Step into those moments. And it, I love this quote that's in here. It says, criticism like rain should be gentle enough to nourish a man's growth without destroying his roots. It's like we just read there in 1 Thessalonians, right, in chapter 5. It's to encourage. If you see somebody that's lazy, like go to them. 
hey, knucklehead, get it together, right? If somebody's tired, go to them and say, hey, listen, you're, instead of going to them, this is just what we do so often, isn't it? You go to somebody that's tired and they're beat up and they're wore out and life's just beat them down. And it's like, here's what you've been doing wrong, right? <laughs> Have you been praying enough, <laughs> you know? Have you been reading your Bible, right? Right? It might be a little too honest, right? Isn't that what we do in the moment? But instead of going along and say, hey, why are you tired? Hey, what's going on? How can I encourage you? How can I help you? We should go into a moment and say, I have an obligation as a follower of Christ, as a brother and sister with somebody, to help them grow into the person of Christ wants them to be. But I should do that with gentleness, and I should do it with understanding, and I should do it as what as Paul encourages us to in First uh, Corinthians chapter 13 with what? Oh, come on. That's the easiest. Like, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is what? The love chapter. Come on, right? Love. That's right. Okay? So we should go into it with love and understanding. So we want to be in a situation where we're fighting for clarity. So one of the ways that we can do that is, is that we don't observe problems. We provide solutions. We don't observe problems, we provide solutions. It's one of the things I talk about with my kids all the time. It's one of the things we talk about here with the leaders in the church is that if you see something that's wrong, people come to me in the church, hey, you should do this differently, or hey, we should change that. And I say to them, great, so what are you going to start doing? Right? Like it's not a, hey, I see this. It's a, hey, you saw it, so that's something that God gave you, the insight, the wisdom to notice. So guess what? We get to do that together. You get to be a part of the solution. But if we live a life that says, I'm going to notice all the problems and I'm never going to be involved in finding the solution, then you're isolating yourself and you're not giving the church, the body, the family, your coworkers, whatever it might be, you're not giving them the gift that you have to encourage them and strengthen them. And so we've got to push past that, and we've got to step into a moment where we're providing solutions. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Use them well to serve one another. You have gifts and you have abilities. You have the life that you have to serve others, to encourage them, to help them see Jesus. You see things from the angle and perspective you do because of your experiences, because of the gifts God's given you, because of the things you've walked through, the things that you know, the things that you've learned, the things you like and you dislike. Those are all gifts that you can use to help us move forward. So be anxious to provide solutions. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, it says, In all your ways... And everything you do, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Acknowledge him. So what does that mean? Hey, we're doing this thing together. Why are we doing this thing? For his glory and so that others can come to know him. So this is a moment where I see something that I am offended by or something I dislike or something I really like that I want to continue on or make better. We step into that moment. It's a gift that I have. It's an opportunity I have to help others what? To know God, to see his glory, so that even more can come to know him as well. So we step into that. This is a moment I have. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and live your life for him. And when you do that, he makes your way straight. So many times we make things so complicated in life because we refuse to engage in conversation. We refuse to say, here's my purpose. Here's what I'm supposed to do. 
We let our emotions and our feelings and all of these things outweigh our responsibility, especially as a follower of Christ. That, yes, somebody could have really hurt you and been really mean to you. But in that moment, it's not your job to figure out how you can make them see that. It's your job to figure out why they're going through that and encourage them and be the one that helps them be reconciled and redeemed in Christ. And when you step into that moment and you help that and you're willing to do that, God works in your life and he fixes things quick. Like I'm telling you, when people follow this stuff and they walk through and say, oh, that's the way we're supposed to do this. Like it's not this long drawn out like, oh, maybe it'll get fixed. It's just all like, you, God, this is who you want. This is what you've given me to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to acknowledge you. I'm going to trust you. And then all of a sudden you're just like, whoa, that's over and we've moved on already. Like God works it out. It's awesome stuff. It's good stuff. It's his word, right? All right, another way that we do that is, is that we think won't, not can't. We think won't, not can't. I love this in Mark chapter 11, verse 22 through 25. It says, and Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt it in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So many times people say, I, I believe it in my heart, I had faith for it, and I've been praying for it, and it never happened. Maybe it's not what God wanted to have happen, right? Jesus, he's teaching us to pray. In Matthew, he says what? First thing we're supposed to do, right? Thy kingdom come, right? Go back to King James right there. <laughs> thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So what's our first place? What's our first position? That God's will be done, not our will be done. And a lot of times we go to a place and we say, I want this to happen, and we're fighting for it to happen, and we're passionate about it, and we, it could be something really, really good. It could be very beneficial. We're like, I want this to happen. If it would just happen, oh, and we got all these good ideas of what it could be, and God's sitting up there saying, it could be good, but it's not best. It could be great, but it's not what I have for you. Can you trust me? And so in that moment, it's not that God can't answer your prayer. It's that he won't answer your prayer. And God, in his sovereignty, it shows his strength and his power in that moment to make a decision to not be active just as much as it would if he decided to be active. When God doesn't answer a prayer, it doesn't mean that God has drawn, withdrawn himself and has become just careless and, and, and not engaged in what's happening in your life, when God pulls himself back, that is just as much of a sovereign act as it is for him to step in and answer a prayer. And so in this, we sit there and say, God, is this your will? Is this what you want to do? If it's not, I don't want it. If it is, I want it. And when we get into a place where we understand the things that God's doing and what he's called us to and the life he's called us to live, then we step into a moment where we're praying the things that God wants us to pray. When we're praying what he wants us to pray, guess what? He's like, yeah, of course. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, let's do this thing, right? And so whatever mountain may be in your life, if it's a mountain that needs to crumble, whether it's a physical mountain or whether it's an emotional mountain, whether it's a financial mountain or whatever it is, that if it's God's will and God is ready for that thing to be crumbled and moved for his glory so that you can see his presence, know that he's there with you, working in your life, and so that others can come and see God's glory in that moment, then it will happen. But if God wants the mountain there for a, for a time being, it's going to be there for a time being, right? 
Isn't that good? So here's what we do in our lives. Here's how this works out. For as a, as a church, there are things that people have come to us and they say, I want to understand why we don't do these things. Or they say, I'm not going to come to this church anymore because we don't do this stuff or we don't do that stuff. And, and they're just like, I, it just seems like you just you guys you know, can't do it and you're not interested in doing it. Maybe you just need more finances or anything like that. And I was like, no, we're just not going to do it. Like we won't do that. It's not that we can't. If there's anything that God gives us that we don't have the means for, that is not a reason for us to not do it. Right? When a missionary comes to us and says, we need $11,000, we don't go, we can't do that. Right? We step in and say, we're going to do that. One way or another, we're going to make that happen. It's not in our means. It's not in our budget. It's not in our ability. But we're going to do that. But there are some things that we say we won't do that because it's not what God's called us to. And so there's, in those moments, there's times where we have to say, you have to understand and be able to separate out the difference that there is reasons of, uh, as to why we won't do things, but we do not want to be a church that can't do things because of limited people, limited funds, limited ideas. We want our faith to exceed our opportunities. We want moments that are given to us as a church that people drop into our laps so that God opens the doors for, that we say, I don't know how that's going to happen, but we can do that. But there will be things that other churches do or that people would like for us to do that we won't do because it's not what we've been asked to do. Does that make sense? And so it's important to step into those moments and say, I want to understand what's going on. I want to understand why. I want to understand these things. I want to get all the facts together. And then I want to move together in what God's called us to do because our job as a follower of Christ is to build unity. In Psalm 133 Verse 1, I love this. It says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Verse 3b, it goes on. It says, for there, where's there? Where we are dwelling together in unity. In that place, what does God do? He has commanded the blessing of life forevermore. Where you are unified together, where we are unified together around Christ, where the church is unified together globally, where the church is unified around Christ and the life that he's called us to live, God commands his blessings over the things that we do. That is just fantastic. We fight for unity. We build unity. We clarify we clarify what's going on because we do not want to cause disunity we do not want to do things that are going to make people feel less or discouraged or isolated in any way we want to fight for unity why because that's where God's blessing is and we don't want to be anywhere else other than the center of his will doing what he's called us to do in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 it says make every effort to keep yourselves what united in the spirit Binding yourselves together with peace. Make every effort. Work together for unity. In a moment where things seem uncertain or a moment where offenses are high, in a moment where things are not clear, fight for clarity. In a moment where things don't seem to make sense or it seems that we are as a church or somebody that you are close to is going in the wrong direction, fight for clarity in that moment. Step into that moment. Say, this is my place. In all circumstances, to recognize who God is and what he's called me to and to point to Jesus in that moment because each and every one of us we all need to take responsibility for the unity of this church 
We need to take, it's not just my job. It's not just Michelle and I's job. It's all of our job. If you call this your church home, it's our job to fight for the unity and build the unity that God has given us in this church. It's your job as a parent to fight for that unity in your home. It's your job to fight for that unity in your neighborhood. It's your job in the relationships God's given you to surround yourself and to step into these moments to clarify what's really going on. Push through emotions. Push through circumstances. Find out the truth of what's happening so that people are centered around Jesus, so they're walking in his blessing, walking in his grace, and experiencing the life that he's called us to live in Jesus. So we do that by challenging the things that cause disunity, and we cultivate the things that cause unity. If you hear somebody talking about somebody else, you challenge that. Don't let it go. If you hear somebody bashing the church, whether it's this church or another church, you don't let it go. Like you step into a moment and say, why do you feel that way? Why are you saying that? Have you gone to that person and talked to him about it? Have you tried to figure out what's going on? I'm not saying everything's perfect and once you get into it, you really understand like, oh, there's some jacked up stuff that people do. There's some jacked up stuff that churches do, right? Like, and it's at a moment just to say, hey, I'm going to understand what's going on and I can either distance myself from that or I can be a part of finding a solution for that. But we as a church, we need to cultivate the things that unify Right? And challenge the things that cause disunity. That's the opportunities God's given us to help clarify the life that he's called us to live, to help encourage people to come to know him and to live their lives for him and so that we can experience God's glory in our own lives. Good stuff? All right. Second one is to believe in people. Believe in people. This is one of my core convictions of my life is to believe in people. I'm passionate about believing people. I just got a text from somebody who said, thank you for believing in me. Thank you for fighting me for me when nobody else would. Like, I want to believe in people even when they don't believe in themselves. You know why? Because God believes in them. You know how I know he believes in them? Because he sent his son to die for them. There was no limitations on who Jesus came for. Jesus came to, so that all would know him. That's his desire. That's his heart is that all. And there's some people who you, you're just like, I don't think that person can get any further from God and the things that God wants for them. God is got his eye on them, and nobody can run too far from his grace. When people don't believe in themselves, that is the moment that we as followers of Christ need to believe in them the most. Believe in people. Love people when they least expect it and they least deserve it. Go out of your way. I love this and, and um, oh, I'll get to that verse later. I'm going to jump ahead. Romans chapter 5 verse 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us. It's what Jesus did for us. It's what he's modeled for us. As a disciple of Christ, we are to what? Follow him and do what Jesus did. That's what a disciple is, is to follow him. How did Jesus live his life? Figure that out and you live your life that way. Jesus came at the time we were at our worst so that we could discover his best for us. We should do the same thing for people. In Romans chapter 5, verse 10, in the message translation, it says, if when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son, now that we are at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. 
Here's a principle that you get when you believe in people. You do for others what you wish they would do for you. You do for others what you wish they would do for you. It doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter how they're acting. You, through the Holy Spirit, you as a child of God, you have the strength, you have the wisdom, you have the ability, you have the insight to do for them what you wish they would do for you. Whether they deserve it, whether they've earned it, whether it's going to do any good or not in the instant moment, it will for God's glory. You step into it and you do for them what you wish they would do for you because that's what Jesus did for you. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, in the English Standard Version, it says, Love one another with brotherly affection. This is why I love this. It says, Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo. We talk about it at City Life Church all the time. We believe in winners and losers. We'll point out somebody if they lose something, right? Because, hey, it, life is fun, right? And it's good every once in a while. Like when you're playing a competition, we play the kids in the Wii, you know, play Mario Kart. Even Ryland, she's seven. She's not super coordinated yet. She loses, she loses, and she knows it, right? So it's, it's one of those things. But in life, like, it's, it's, right, have fun. It's to have this competition, not to, like, shame others and put others down, but outdo each other and honor each other. Have this sense of, I like, look, first thing we talked about, an enthusiastic encourager. Look what God has done. Look what he's doing in my life. Look what he's happening here. I want to honor you because he's honored me with his love. I want to show you this type of grace and this type of love and kindness because that's what he's shown me. So you go out of your way. You do whatever you can to honor them, to believe in them because it's not about who they've been but who they can be in Christ. Right? It's not about who they've been and what they've done and where they've gone. It's who they can be in Christ. That no matter where they are in this moment, you look at them, I believe in you because I believe in Jesus. I believe in what he can do, and I believe in his power. I believe in his grace. I believe in his mercy. And I believe that when he gets a hold of your heart, he will wreck your life and change you for the good. I believe in you because I believe in Jesus. And I believe in what he can do, and I believe in who he is. And I want to see you get to where God dreams your life is going. Right? So we believe in people. We do that by gaining trust. We gain trust. And we gain trust by being trustworthy. John chapter 10, verse 37, it says, Don't believe me unless I carry out my Father's work. This is Jesus talking. Right? The Pharisees are coming to him, and they're saying all these things. And Jesus says, hey, listen, don't believe me. If I'm being a hypocrite, if I'm not trustworthy, then don't believe me. But if I'm trustworthy, if I'm doing what I said I'm going to do, if I'm living out the way that I said I'm going to live out, if I'm doing what Scripture says that I should be doing and modeling this life that God has called us to live and says that we can live, if I'm doing that, if I'm trustworthy, guess what? You should listen. If you want people to listen to you, if you want to have voice and influence in people's life, in situations, if you want to expand your world as far as the things that you're a part of and the things that you're able to do, then be a person that is trustworthy. And you do that by knowing your motives. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as what? Whew. That's a good one right there, isn't it? That's in the Bible, y'all. What does it say? Be humble thinking of what? Better than yourselves. Not as equal to yourselves, but as better than yourselves. That you put people beyond you. You put people above you. That you actually sacrifice for your benefit so that others can see God's grace and see his presence in their lives. 
you be honest. Be honest. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. Man, it's so like, I'm telling you, like, I'm, it's not, like, if I was to tell you this stuff, like, it's so stupid and so small, but it's something I struggled with for a long time was just, like, I would embellish little things, and I would do little things, you know, like, differently as I was talking, or, yeah, I was a part of that, and I was never a part of it, you know, just, like, that different type, what was I doing? I was trying to get people to look at me. I was trying to get people to be focused on me, and so I talked a lot. I still talk a lot, but I talked a lot about myself, and I still talked about, you know, I talked about all these situations. If somebody was telling a story, I would try to match their story or beat their story. Why? Because I wanted people to look at me, right? So I would have to embellish things, or, oh, I did this, or, oh, this happened. And so if you live the way you're supposed to live, if you're living honestly, what you're doing is, is there's times you're going to be quiet. There's times you're not going to say things, but what happens is, is your words and your 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 attitudes, your emotions, everything, it's helping others to feel valued. It's putting others above yourself. There's moments now where people are telling stories. My story, it's a true story. It's an honest to God story. It is 10 times better than their story. But I keep my mouth shut, right? Because in that moment, they're telling their story. They're trying to connect with me. They're trying to open up to who they are and what they've been through. I want to listen to that. I want to be engaged in what's going on in their life. And so it's a process that God's been working with me on and working through is that I want to be in a place where God's delighting in my life. Right? Not where people are saying, whoa, he's super cool. Wow, he's awesome. Man, he's done some stuff. But I want to be in a place where whether people feel that about, way, about me or not, that I'm in this place where I'm walking and I just know that God's right there with me and he's doing like I do with my son. He just looks over and he just smiles. The way I look at my daughter when she's just coming down the stairs and my eyes just water a little bit and I just smile full of pride and joy. That's the way he looks at me. That's the way he looks at you when we're delighting in him, when we're living our lives truthfully and honestly for his glory. I'm saying, I want people to look nowhere else other than you because you are everything. That's the way he wants us to live. All right. I'm going to hit this last one real quick. Are you all right if I do that? Okay. Thank you, Ricky. <laughs> Read First Peter chapter 3, verse 10. That's a good one for you. All right, so here's the thing. All right, so we talked about tonight, for fight for clarity. Fight for clarity. Believe in people, right? This last one is huge, and it's important. It's that diversity invites opportunity. Diversity invites opportunity. Diversity invites opportunity. This is a big, big, big thing that I'm passionate about, super passionate about it. So here's, I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction than you think I might be going for a second, and then we're going to get probably where you think we are supposed to be. But the first thing is divides in, uh, diversity invites opportunity is the very first thing I want to talk about is generationally, generationally. It's Psalm chapter 145, verse 4. So your first blank there is generationally. Psalm 145, verse 4. It says, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. Oftentimes what happens in churches is that we begin to get to a place where we separate out based off of age. And we keep the kids where the kids are. And we let the teenagers be the crazy teenagers. We kind of invite in the college kids. You know, sometimes, and then they get young professionals, maybe. But we want to be a church that says, no, hey, listen, like, we need to all be together. They might be six, 
but God can give them a word that can encourage. They might be 10, but God could be doing something in their lives that we need to hear. So one of the things that we talk about here is, is that our, at our church, that kids' ministry is a priority. You don't see Terrence and Kim up here tonight because they're downstairs serving in kid life because there was nobody else to serve. Like, it's a priority. They're the leaders of the church. They're part of the governance team of the church. And they could be in here encouraging and helping, but they're down there serving because the kids' ministry is a priority. And they'll get their time to be fed and, and encouraged and all that stuff because they're down there right now not just managing kids. They're not down there just kind of making sure the kids are okay and fed and not crying when you come to pick them up. They're down there speaking life into them, loving on them, encouraging them building them up. Michelle rarely comes to church very often because she's down there in kids' ministry. Noel's in the same way. It's a sense of we, as leaders of the church, we value our kids' ministry and we value what God's doing in their life. We value what's happening. We want to create an environment where kids are exposed to the goodness of God early in their lives and their hearts are opened up. They're down there learning how to worship. Ricky's down there once a month teaching them and helping them to learn worship songs. And they're down there preaching sermons uh, on their own because of what God is using these leaders to do to expose them. And we have family nights. We're inviting kids into our services on family nights, not just because it's cute and it's fun, but because we want our kids to come shoulder to shoulder with us, worship with us, have communion with us, to talk about it, to see how God's working in their lives and so that they can see God working in our lives because it matters for us to be together regardless of our age. It's important for us to come together. Kids' ministry is a priority. I want you to hear this. Teenagers are not the future leaders of the church. Teenagers are not the future leaders of the church. They're a part of the church now. They're a part of the church now. Uh, we've been working hard. We had Derek and Manny up there tonight. Connor's super involved in things. Ruben's always helping out with stuff. We've had Ruben up on the stage. We want that to happen more and more, not because we want to be progressively younger, but because we want to make sure that we're validating what we believe, that this is a value that we hold, that God uses all people, and God cares about all people, and there's a voice that each and every one of us has to point towards his glory, and we want all people to be together on that. That's why the next one, it says, diverse ages in life groups is a priority. We've made a little bit of a shift in our college life group. I was like, hey, listen, college students, they need to have some wisdom in their lives, right? They need to have some wisdom in their lives. And guess what? Some of our older groups, they need to have some life and vitality in their lives, right? We need each other. We need to work together. And so we've got to be focused on this. It's all clear. You go through the Old Testament, and one of the things that stands out is what over and over and over again, they are charged as parents, they're charged as leaders of community, and even as students and young people to learn of God's faithfulness, learn of the things that he's done, to remember them, to let them be deep in their hearts so they can what? Teach it to the next generation. So that it's never forgotten. We should come together and celebrate each other because it matters. And we want to be diverse culturally. We want to be diverse culturally. One of the biggest ways in that is we want to be diverse ethnically, right? We celebrate different lives coming together. We do not want to be an all-white church, right? Just telling you, you don't want that. It would be even quieter in here tonight than it already has been, Right? We want to be a church that has different backgrounds. We want to have a church that has different experiences, different expressions, different voices, different ideas. We want that to come together. We want people who don't believe like we believe to feel safe here. 
We want people who are living differently we're living to feel safe here. We want to be a place where people can come together. Why? Because it's not about becoming robots. It's not about following some plan that we have. What is it about? It's about saying he's real, he's alive, he's active, he's working, he's got plans, he's got purposes. Let's point to him, let's see him, and let's each live out the life he's called us to live as we're pointing to him so that we can walk on the path that he has for us, so that we can walk in his blessings, so that we can walk in strength and confidence, so that we can do all of those things. We cannot do it if we look the same, act the same, and we're all the same age. Diversity invites opportunity. If you don't have, I got a line down here, it says our, our circles cannot be one-dimensional in race or experience. If your circles look the same, you've got to step outside of that. You've got to sit down with people that look different than you, grew up different than you, and act different than you. Because when you do, in those moments, you begin to see things differently. You begin to walk into moments when you can encourage people when they're hurting, when they're scared, when they're walking through something that's difficult. Or they can encourage you to see something different, to see God in a bigger way, to walk with more faith and confidence. If your circle looks the same, you've got to grow it out. Right? A lot of blank stares. Thank you, Hunter. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, it says, In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free. This is like whoever you are, if you're breathing and you have oxygen, this thing, it's about us coming together. Why? Because Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. So, that's what it's all about. So we want to be enthusiastic encouragers, right? That we want to believe in people. We want to fight for clarity so that relationships matter, so that what God's called us to do doesn't get short-circuited by our emotions and our feelings. And we want to step into moments that are beyond ourselves because diversity invites opportunity. It invites moments for us to step out of our norm, our comforts, and to step into the things that God has for us. Amen? God, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, we pray that you just help us to live these things out for your glory. Father, I pray that during this season that you would just encourage us and help us, Father, to walk out this life that you've called us to live. That we won't just be walking around, just meandering through life, doing what culture expects of us, Lord. But that we will be the light that you've called us to. That your light will shine through our lives. And that people will see beyond themselves. That they will see beyond their despair. They'll see beyond their worry. They'll see beyond their, 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 their things that they have fleeting hope in. And Lord, that they will see you, discover you, and live their lives for you. And that we, your church, your followers, your children, will grow to be like Jesus. God, help us, Lord, to take these things in the heart, to put your word in the center of our hearts, to put your life above all things. God, help us to do what Jesus gave us the power to do through his life, death, and resurrection, to love you with all of our hearts and to love others as he loved us. Lord, we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. See you back on Christmas Eve. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you.
is falling and friends are calling you. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. Giddy yap, giddy yap, giddy yap, let's go. Let's look at the show. We're riding in a wonderland. 